again, good morning. It looks kind of like the, uh, when you go to a wedding and it's like the in-town one and the person who's from out-of-town side where it's split one side versus the other here. All right, if you will, head to, anyone remember what book we're in? It's been a while. Please tell me you know the book. Luke, you're wrong, Bill. <clears throat> um, so head over to chapter 20 of Luke this morning. It really has been a while. November 15th was the last time that we were in uh, the Gospel of Luke. That was seven weeks ago. Uh, so let me just remind you real quick where we're at. Uh, it's, it's the last week of Jesus' life uh, before he is crucified and later resurrected. His triumphal entry has already happened. He's been in the temple and he's teaching and interacting with people. Uh, and the last inter interaction we saw was when the Jewish leaders had asked him, you know, should, should the Jews be paying the tribute tax to Rome or not? And Jesus' response by saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. That's the last thing. And if you remember at the end of that, everyone was silent and it was just, just in awe as they marveled at Jesus' words. Uh, but like all situations of speechlessness, people don't remain speechless and uh, another group begins to speak. And that's where we are picking up uh, this morning in Luke. So it'll be uh, chapter 20, verse 27. And, and just so you know, we're going to read it in two sections today. And the, and the reason is uh, I want to leave a little bit of suspense. If you read it before, it won't be suspenseful to you. But uh, if you kind of hear it like they would have heard it, where you hear what the Sadducees say, and then you wait to hear what's Jesus going to say. So we're going to do it that way. So uh, Luke chapter 20, picking up in verse 27. <clears throat> there came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there's a resurrection. And they asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second, uh, and, the, and, the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left, no children and died. Afterwards, the woman, woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will she be? For the seven had all, all, uh, had all had her as a wife. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Hey, Heavenly Father, teach us with your word today. <clears throat> Take away distractions and work as only you can to give us minds and hearts that are receptive to receive from you today, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So at some time or another, all people ask this question, what happens when we die, when I die, right? That's the, the question. Is, is there any more life to be lived or is that it? Is that everything? Now, many people just in our culture assume some sort of an afterlife, just a generic general idea. And yet many more today live with massive doubts about afterlife. You see, the, the nearly ubiquitous worldview of, of secular humanism comes into play. It's this prominent view, or the most prominent view of our culture today, and, and that's this idea that the life that you are now living right now, that is all you get, right? YOLO. Many think that your heart stops beating, your blood stops flowing, and that's it. That's the end of everything. Your mind at this point ceases to exist, and your soul, well, it never did. That is the depressing belief of too many of our fellow Americans today, fellow citizens of the world, in fact. And Christian, there may be times when 
that dubious deception of the serpent even creeps into your own views at times. And this is because we, we've been told so many times that there is zero credible evidence that your soul or any part of you survives after the death of the body. But who could know such a thing apart from the one who actually created us? Who, who could know such a thing apart from someone who is, you know, who, who is before they even were? And, and to the so-called expert today, I, I just want to say, but have you died? Have you? Have you interviewed anyone who's truly died? I know we hear people saying that from time to time, but anyone who's truly died and rose back to life again? Or ask him, you know, did, did you exist before creation? And I want to ask those questions because it makes the point, if, if you can't do that sort of research, then really it makes you a crummy expert on the subject. And Christ today, we'll see in this passage, is a true expert on the subject of what happens when we die. And so then you all know a bit about the Pharisees at this point, but today he's, he's dealing with the other large faction of, of, of Jews at this time. He's dealing with the Sadducees. Now, at this time, the, the Sadducees are the wealthy, they are the intellectual, they are the ruling elite in Israel. The, the Sanhedrin, which is a, a Jewish court that's similar to our um, Supreme Court, was predominantly made up of Sadducees. Every year when a, a new high priest was selected, uh, almost all of them were Sadducees. Give you a little comparison between them. While, while the Pharisees and the Zealots as well wanted to overthrow Rome and put, Jew, Jew, uh, put uh, Israel back into power, the Sadducees were willing to work with Rome so that they could retain their power, uh, political power in that sense. You see, while the Pharisees added rules to God's law, uh, on the one hand, the Sadducees, on the other hand, were very literal. Only, only very, very literal in the way they did it. They only understood the, the first five books, the Torah, to be truly authoritative as well. Now, I don't know if you ever noticed, but uh, all people have this identifier. It's, it's the thing that comes out when someone says, who? Whatever comes out of their mouth is usually the identifier, right? Uh, Mark, he's the guy that's always wearing cheap stuff. Like, that's, that's his identifier. Or, you know, Kara. Kara's the one who walks with that bounce in her step. I'm not talking about you actual care. I just realized that. Um, but that's an identifier, something that you, you, you realize that. And I know right now you might be thinking, oh, what's my identifier? Do that later. Just, just put that away for a minute. You can talk about that later. And I want you to understand this, though, that denominations even today have this identifier. All of them do. Uh, the Reformed Presbyterian Church, there, there's, uh, they're the one who believe it's, it's sinful to use instruments in, wor in worship and to sing, and they sing only the Psalms. Right? Great people, but that's their identifier. Or, or the Church of Christ. They're, they're the ones who believe that a water baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation. Absolutely necessary. I, I you know, from time to time get to hear, you know, what's our identifier? We, we joke, you know, that we're real kind of calm and orderly, that sort of thing. Some of my Baptist friends say, you're the ones who baptize babies. Uh, and I always want to know, doesn't that make us Baptists? They don't go with that. Anyway, the, the Sadducees identifier here is, is exactly what you see in verse 27, right? Someone asks, you know, the Sadducees? Oh, yeah, the Sadducees. They're the ones that deny the resurrection. For all the differences, that's the one identifier for the, for the Sadducees. They deny the resurrection. And not just Jesus' resurrection. They deny the concept of resurrection. It's impossible. It couldn't happen. It's never going to happen. There's nothing in Scripture that says it. That's, that's the argument they would try to make. Now, they, they'd fit in today very well with, with the hopeless materialists who believe, you know what, you die and that's it. That's the end of everything. Uh, the ancient historian Josephus, even Josephus, 
There's another word I can't pronounce, Josephus, chafe, uh, quotes them saying, the soul perishes with the body. That's their worldview. And, and so remember, the Sadducees, these are the rich, these are the powerful, they have prestige. That's their view in life. They want to get pleasure out of life, not in some evil, wicked way, not in some hedonistic way, but they want to live their best life now because that's all they think there is. And if you remember earlier on this exact same day, Jesus comes in and he's flipping over tables and he's, he's kicking out the, the, the ch uh, money changes from the temple. And so you can begin to see that Jesus is coming into their world and he is quickly ruining their way of life. They do not like him. <clears throat> and so believing themselves at this point <clears throat> to be experts in God's word, in religion, experts in, in God himself, they, they challenge Jesus, who is God, right? This is a hard person to be challenging here. Uh, but they challenge Jesus on whether the future resurrection of, of the people of Israel is real, or of God's people is real. And so they ask a, a ridiculous question, which they hope is going to show just how ridiculous this concept of the resurrection is. The, the question now is based on Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. If you want, you can flip over there real quick. It's in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, and it says this, it says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son who, whom she bears shall succeed <clears throat> to, uh, to the name of his dead brother, that, uh, that his name may not be blotted out as Israel. So the first child they have is going to be considered as if, as if the dead brother had actually had that child. Uh, the rest of that rule has to do with what happens if that brother refuses to do it. And it's kind of interesting. You, you take the guy's sandal, they're spitting in his face. It's a fantastic uh, way of dealing with that refusal. Anyway, I know this whole concept is incredibly weird to us. Uh, some of you that are married or even dating are thinking, I would not want to marry my husband's brother. No way. Uh, that is creepy even thinking about that. Or maybe you're wondering, does, does the widow even have a say in this? Does, does, it, does it matter what she thinks? Does she even want to marry this guy? Uh, now, be careful that you don't bring our culture today into this culture and make all those assumptions that we tend to do. Uh, a widow in this time would probably have desired this. She, she wanted to have children. She wanted to be provided for she couldn't just go out and, and get a job. She wanted to continue her husband's line by providing an heir. She, uh, she, she wanted to keep the land in the family. She wanted to do what she had set out to do to begin with when she married her husband. And, and, and so, yeah, she probably would have wanted this. Anyway, the Sadducees <clears throat> toss out this what-if situation. It's, it's, it's a crazy what-if situation. It's basically the musical Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, uh, except there's only one bride and Everyone dies, a very depressing music, musical. Uh, they sing all dirges the whole time, <clears throat> right? So that's the situation. And, 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 and first of all, you need to know this, though, that it is not likely a real story. They're not telling you this happened to my friend down the street, uh, which you're probably already thinking because six brothers die. The seventh one is, you know, I'm going to pass on this uh, most certainly. Also, it's, a, it's kind of this what-if situation. And, and you know that most what-if situations are completely fabricated to make some dramatic arguments. If you've got children, you've heard it, you know, you, you have to clean your room today. But what if the house blows up? Do I still have to clean your room? Yes, right? It's always the answer. Um, so anyway, the Sadducees wouldn't have known the official name, but what they're attempting is an argument that's called reductio ad absurdum, 
which is, is Latin just means reduction to absurdity. Like, let, you know, they're, they're, the idea is this. Let me show you how crazy this idea is, because if you followed it to its logical conclusion, this, this, and this would be true, and therefore it can't possibly be true. That's the idea of this. Now, a, a modern example of this is the unbiblical uh, theological idea of the age of accountability. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, I grew up in Bible churches and, and some Baptist churches where this was fairly common. Uh, and the idea is that children are not held accountable to God for their sin until a certain age, meaning they can't possibly be, be held accountable because they're just too young. Um, and it comes from this idea, these churches that believe that salvation is a result of praying a prayer or the, the, uh, you know, the sinner's prayer or, or something along those nat uh, that nature. And, and thus, if, if your child dies before getting to that point, before having the time to explain it to them, uh, it would be unfair, and thus children must not be held accountable until a certain age. That's the basic idea. Now, you might respond to them with this argument by pointing out, you, you know, the reductio ad absurdum. You know, if you push it to its logical conclusion, then, then you'd have to say this, you know, the most loving thing you can do as a parent is when you have your, your child is to murder it before it gets to an age where it can be held accountable for its sin. That would be the most reasonable thing uh, in, in that situation. And that idea is so absurd, really, right? And this is the point. You would never encourage a parent to do that. It can't possibly be something that exists. The other reason it can't exist is there's nothing in Scripture that supports this anywhere at all. Um, so that's the kind of argument, anyway, that the Sadducees are, are tempting. But they're about as successful as that, at that as I might be if I tried a triple axle on ice skates, right? It would be a miserable failure. That's the way it goes for them. Now, at the heart, what we are seeing, right, if you want to pare down everything that's going on in this argument, what we're seeing in these Sadducees is just unbelief. Unbelief. They, they do not believe what Christ has said. They do not believe who Christ is. They do not believe what God has done in the Scriptures or written in the Scriptures. Uh, and so they're trying to show how absurd a world with resurrection would be. Uh, after all, th this woman has been the wife of seven different guys. How can she be the wife of seven different guys in, in, if she's after being resurrected? Now, to be fair, we, we still hear these sort of, you know, what if situations regarding the resurrection today. Uh, tell me I'm not the only one who's heard this. You know, the, you, you think that people will be resurrected back to their bodies in a physical form? I mean, what, what if their body blows up in a bomb to a trillion pieces? Really? They're going to be resurrected? You know, that, that's, how is that possible? Now, I understand that's a lot of puzzle pieces to put together. I'm not sure how it will work, but it will. Is it going to be the exact same cells if you really want to get down to the details? I don't know. Maybe not. I, I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that I, I learned not too long ago that uh, very few of the cells in my body were the exact same cells I had 20 years ago. So I'm looking at my hand, but it's not really the same hand as 20 years ago, or at least most of it's not. And, and that just blows my mind. So bottom line is, how's God going to put bodies that have degraded and fallen apart and, I don't know, been eaten by whales, whatever, back together, I don't know. What I do know is that somehow he's going to resurrect us into a body that is our body. Anyway, uh, look back at the text. Let's, let's see how the Lord handles this absurd argument. Uh, and before I read it, Luke doesn't record it, but Matthew does. And I want to put it here because it's pretty great because Jesus actually starts this statement by, by saying to the Sadducees, he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. That's why they don't believe in the, the resurrection. They don't know the scriptures, which is what Jesus is about to deal with, and they don't believe in the power of God, which 
uh, is a wider issue here. Uh, so follow along. Verse, verse 34, we're going to read again right to the end of our passage, verse 40. And Jesus said to him, said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses uh, showed. In the passage about the bush, where he calls the, calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of A Isaac and the God of Jacob, now, he is not, not the God of the, of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. And then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. When, when Jesus says there at the start, this age, he means life as you and I know it. When we use the word life, the way that we talk about it, life until we die. Uh, he's pointing out then here this vital error of, of the Sadducees because they have made an assumption and they have assumed wrongly in their assumption. They think that after the resurrection, everything's the same. Life is going to look just like it looks right now, except it's going to last forever. No differences in anything. Uh, Jesus is in a small way here, pulling back the veil of eternity here. And, and he's revealing to us, right, that, that after we, were, we are resurrected, there will be continuity. It will be your body. It will be you, like it is the world. But... Uh, but it's also going to be different. Our bodies will be different. What we do will be different. But we don't know the details of this. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, uh, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. Now we know a few things, right? We know that creation will be free of sin and will no, be no more pandemics or things of that nature. We'll, uh, we'll no longer even be tempted to sin, hallelujah. Our bodies will be incorruptible, meaning they're not going to decay, they're not going to fall apart. Uh, no more pain or disease or death or anything like that. Uh, there's a lot of things we don't know. Will, will you have wings? I don't know. There's nothing in Scripture that says we will, but I don't know. Um, are we going to be able to fly or breathe underwater or breathe in space? I don't know. We, we don't know, but, but maybe. I mean, our, our new glorified bodies will, will be whatever is needed for the age to come. Now, a, a tiny illustration of this, and I mean tiny. Don't expound this any further than it allows us. But uh, uh, it's like a caterpillar, right? This fat little thing that waddles around, and he's got this body designed for eating leaves and digesting leaves. Uh, and then he goes into this cocoon and he turns into liquid and comes out looking quite different, right? A beautiful butterfly. Uh, same creature, but now has a new body with wings, feeds on flowers, functions a little differently. I, I once read a study about caterpillars to butterflies that just blew my mind. Uh, they were able to prove with uh, maize and tobacco leaves that a caterpillar can learn the smell of a tobacco leaf turn into liquid, come out a butterfly, and still remember the smell of a tobacco leaf to get out of that thing on its first try. Anyway, uh, you know, it's the, it's the same creature. Anyway, so, so, so Jesus is teaching here that while marriage is a huge part of life as we live it today, marriage is not a thing after the resurrection. Now, I love marriage. I, I truly do. And so I hear this, and honestly, that's like disappointing to me. Um, why, why is that going to end, right? Um, and maybe it disappoints 
you as well to, to, to hear this, but we, we've got to trust that you're not going to be disappointed because whatever God has planned is certainly better. You, you won't be, be, be you know, resurrected and with Christ and thinking like, I, I just liked it better the way it was. No one's going to say that ever. But I mean, still, we, we wonder, right? Am, am, I, am I going to know my believing spouse after the resurrection? And certainly you will. She's a sister in Christ, brother in Christ if your husband. But, you know, but will you biblically know your wife? I don't know. Scripture's not real clear about that. But, but this certainly teaches us that one of the purposes of marriage is new births. And, and that will no longer be necessary since no one is going to die. No one is going to be needing to be replaced at this point. It also teaches that while marriage is important in the scope of it, uh, uh, we got to remember that in the scope of eternity, marriage is not the end-all, be-all of our existence. In verse 35, Jesus refers to men and women who are resurrected uh, to eternal life as those who are considered worthy. That's the way they're labeled here. Let me explain this. Uh, first of all, as Acts 24.15 clearly states, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Everyone who has ever existed will be resurrected. Plato, Constantine, Mother Teresa, Steve Jobs, Hitler, everyone will be resurrected. Everyone, including you, will have to stand and give an account for their sins, no matter how big or how small. Everyone will be found guilty and deserving of the eternal wrath of God. However, some will be, as our, as our passage states, considered worthy. Now, you're noticing the detail here. Jesus doesn't say that some will be worthy or some are worthy, but that some are considered worthy. It's as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.9. He's talking about himself. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's the considered worthy. Philip Ryken explains the point even further, saying, we're not worthy, but Jesus is. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God considers us to be worthy in his sight. Considered worthy. The worthy who will be resurrected not to wrath, but to life are those who have placed their faith in Jesus. So then in verse 36, you see Jesus says that we're going to be equal to angels. Now, I know we tend to use the word equal like some sort of hierarchy or exact same. That's not what's going on here. It's saying there's similarities there. And the similarities that he's talking about is that we're, we're going to be like angels in the sense that we, we, are, we are immortal at that point forward, right? In the sense that we no longer decay, we no longer die. Uh, and in the sense of, of, of we're not marrying, we're not procreating. We are like angels in that way. And then in verse 37, Jesus gives a proof text from the Torah. And, and remember, the Sadducees only followed these first five books that are all written by Moses. And they are uh, so confident, in fact, that there is no indication that the resurrection was a thing according to the rising, writing of Moses. That's why they so boldly come to him in this situation. And, and Jesus proves they're wrong uh, by quoting from their beloved Torah. Uh, remember, they began their question with Moses said, and Jesus here is pointing out, well, pay better attention to the scriptures because Moses knew about the resurrection. He knows. Uh, Jesus is quoting from Exodus 3. You can turn there if you want. If not, I will just tell you about it. Um, at this point, Moses has left Egypt, right? He's, he's working for his father-in-law. He's tending sheep, and the most crazy thing that happens is a bush burning, and, and God begins to speak to him through this bush. 
he's going to call Moses to lead his people out of slavery from Egypt. Uh, but all of that story, right, is going on. But Jesus' point is found in one little aspect of the story. It's found in the way that, G that God introduces himself to Moses here. Uh, if you've got it open, you can see it there in verse 6. Otherwise, I'll just read it to you. God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abra Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And the significance here is that God is speaking in the present tense. God doesn't say something like, I, I was his God. You know, back when he existed, I was, I was the God of these men. He's saying, I am the God uh, of these men. Jesus' point to the Sadducees is, is summarized by J.C. Ryle when he writes, Faith in the resurrection and the life to come has been the universal belief of God's people from the beginning of the world. It's not a New Testament idea. And there's all sorts of proof texts we could go into. I'm not going to for time today. Um, anyway, as, as Jesus puts it here in verse 38, he says, God is the God of the living. Not the dead, but the living. You understand that Abraham is alive right now. Isaac, Jacob, they are alive right now. Your believing grandmother who died 20 years ago is actually alive right now. Not here on earth. She, she is a soul absent from her body, but present with, the, with Christ. She is alive, and so is everyone else who has ever died. And so quite bl bluntly, Jesus is telling these Sadducees, well, well, you, well, you are filled with unbelief. Moses, right, the one who you actually respect, Moses believed and still believes. That's what he's telling them. And so then in verse 39, we, we, we see not necessarily the Sadducees, but some of the scribes are impressed by Jesus' teaching, and everyone's afraid to ask any more questions. They're, they're afraid because they were wanting to bring, there's people standing around with other questions wanting to challenge Jesus. And suddenly they're like, that didn't go so well for them. I think, I think I won't ask my question. And so then I have one simple takeaway for you today, just one Make it very simple for you. Do not be a Sadducee. Do not be a Sadducee. And I mean this in two ways. First, the Sadducees spent their whole life becoming experts on the Word of God, and yet somehow missed something so foundational to the gospel as the resurrection. Don't, don't miss the foundational aspects of the gospel. You can be very religious. You can know scripture well. You can out-debate everyone on your favorite points of doctrine. Uh, you, you maybe can obey God's word better than most others and still miss the gospel. Do not let that happen. You could still miss who Jesus is, still fail to believe in him, to trust in him, to rest, with, uh, rest in him with faith. So do not be a Sadducee. One of the ways we work through this is to ask yourself, does, does, does my study of God's word, does, do my discussions with others lead them to glorify God, or am I using my theological knowledge just to pridefully elevate myself above others so that they know, man, that guy knows his word. Is, is that your goal, right? Listen, do pursue theological knowledge. It's good. You should. It's about knowing God, but, but do it for that purpose. Do it so that you grow closer to God do it so that you live more like Jesus. Do it so that you can worship more purely, so you can love others more truly. So do it so you can better understand the grace that you have received and so that you can better communicate the gospel to others who desperately need it. The other way we want to not be a Sadducee 
is by simply believing the resurrection is real ourselves. Not just in some theological, you know, I can check that off, as sure I agree to that, but truly believe it. I mean, think about it. By, by his resurrection, Jesus defeated death and he broke the power of sin and he atoned for our sins so that we can live forever with God. You see, when the Sadducees denied that there would be a resurrection, they, they absolutely denied the gospel because if there is no resurrection, that's not good news. That is bad news. That is horrible news. In 1 Corinthians 15, 23, Paul explains Jesus is the first to be resurrected. And then he says, at Jesus' coming, those who belong to Christ will be resurrected. Right? Those who have died and belong to Christ are going to be resurrected to eternal life. That's why at the end of the chapter, Paul can boldly say, oh, death, where is your sting? Death is no longer scary because we continue to live, because we will be resurrected. So, so listen, the, the resurrection is to believe, be believed. It is to be cherished. It is to be longed for. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful book, Mere Christianity, <clears throat> made this observation. He writes, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. And since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, that they have become so ineffective in this world. It's more than a theological understanding. It drives so much for us. But may the truth of the resurrection shape the way that you spend your money. May it shape the way, you know, how you pursue relationships with others, both romantically and platonically. May it shape the way that you, you spend your time, how you handle failure, how you handle success and stress and everything else that comes to you. May the truth of the resurrection embolden you to speak of Jesus to others who, like you, are sinners. Those who, like you, are eternal beings with souls who will be resurrected in bodies to God, either to God's wrath or to eternal life with Christ. Be bold with the hope that we have. Brothers, sisters, do not be a Sadducee. Believe in Jesus. Value the truth of the resurrection um, I, I haven't started it yet, so there's that caveat, but um, there's this fantastic book about this. Laura has read it called Forever by Paul Tripp. If you, if you want to learn to live with the resurrection in view, get this book, read it. It's on my list to read this year. If, if you read it and want to discuss it, I'm all up for that, so hit me up if you do that. Uh, so church, let's, let's live our days standing upon this foundational truth <clears throat> revealed by God secured by Christ and applied by the Holy Spirit. While we will face death in Christ, we will also be resurrected again to eternal life. Do, do not be a Sadducee. Now, I just want to end by uh, reading an interaction between our Lord and, and Martha and the situation most of you are familiar with, but just in case you're not, uh, Martha's brother Lazarus has died and Jesus shows up four days later. He could have been there earlier, but did not. Um, and from here, I just want to read to you their interaction. This is John eleven twenty three through 27. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die 
do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. May you, all of us, also believe that. Let us pray. God of the living, give us a view of the world that is in line with true and biblical, undefiled reality. May we approach everything we face today or tomorrow or next week with the foundational truth that if our faith is resting in Jesus, then even if we die, we remain alive. For you are the God of the living, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Paul, Martha, and Peter, the God of Charles Spurgeon, Jim Elliott, R.C. Sproul, the, the God of my grandmother, and the God of all who are absent from the body but present with you until the glorious day of your return and our resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.